this is Catherine, and this is Friendly Anarchism. I have some awesome people here with me today. Would you go ahead and introduce yourselves? My name is Eleanor Soleil, also known as Nors. My name is Nathan Adams. All right, so this hour is for you. What <laughs> do you all want to talk about? Um, I, I have no idea where I'll go, but I'll probably end up talking about like how being queer relates to anarchy. Um, Maybe, maybe a little bit about nihilism. We were touching on that earlier before we started recording. Um, maybe some intersections there. What about you, Nathan? Yeah, definitely um, queer anarchism, uh, nihilism, and like the various... I'm definitely interested in getting into the various like misconceptions about nihilism or mm. various perspectives perspectives of to nihilism or to not nihilism yeah yeah <laughs> and within gender and sexuality yeah and how our frameworks of like how we think about meaning can influence our politics or vice versa mm. yeah. i read a little article about how you know there's red flag anarchism black flag anarchism kind of sort of mm. but um, the idea of the black anarchist or the black anarchism like nihilism is a key part of being that. Mm -hmm. So do you consider yourselves tied to that part of anarchy or is it more broad? I'm, I f definitely feel more inclined toward the black flag anarchy. Um, or I've also seen like purple flag anarchy uh -huh. and stuff like that. <laughs> anarcho feminism. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, however, I, I am sort of like, I'm, I'm sort of moving past feminism in a in a way there's this misconception about feminism that it's only feminism if it's perfect um and i think i think that's kind of bullshit because historically feminism has kind of let trans femmes down um and just trans people in general but especially trans femmes it is um it has never really centered us it has never really um included us and it has only really tokenized and used us to like solidify their um trans exclusionary beliefs um that sort of pervade feminism and all of that for the audience that may not know do you want to describe what a turf is a turf okay some people say trans exclusionary radical feminist but i like trans exterminationist um reactionary fuckbag <laughs> um <laughs> so they um yeah basically if you ever hear someone saying oh we need a vagina only space for women that's turfy um if if someone is just like centering cis women in a conversation about gender um that's typically very turfy there are i i don't know do you have anything to touch on this nathan i mean that i think that covers it uh, they definitely um there's, I mean, they have all sorts of justifications for their their stuff um, that they bring out, but it's pretty. You can pretty well like um, see through it. Yeah, like when you when they're yeah exactly like you're saying when they're talking about equating genitals with gender and like all mm. that. It's kind of like oh, turf. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, back to trans exterminationist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, basically they don't see trans women as women. They see them as perverse men that are trying to get into women's spaces. Um, and they they actually seem to not give a shit about trans men at all. They don't really think about them. Um, so. <laughs> what I understand is the idea that if you grew up supposedly in a man's body, then you got all the privilege as a child of being oh, a yeah, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Therefore... They, th they think trans women have male privilege, which is such bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, they, like, something that I've seen a lot is, like, the idea that trans women are somehow, like, trying to get access to women, like, men trying to get yeah. access to women's spaces, which is, like, if you think about Particularly how, bathrooms. Yeah, if um. you think about how oppressed trans women are in society, it's like, why would someone go through all that just for yeah. that? Like, why, that's, like, why would I get systematically, like, bullied and ostracized from my family and friends so I could, like, sexually harass people? <laughs> yeah, 
Men do that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think turfs are just afraid of men, and I don't think any turf actually knows a trans woman because we're sweet and we're a lot less likely to abuse mm-hmm. anyone. Um. Yeah, and it's. I feel like you could never have known, like a like a little kid who's trans and yeah. have any of those feelings. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was a nanny, and I nannied this wonderful little girl, um, and she, it's just. They're so, so sure of their identity. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I don't know how you could possibly know. You couldn't dissuade you just, them at it, all. Yeah, no, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not a negotiable thing. Yeah. You're yeah. talking about little, you know, two, three-year-old, yeah. three-year-old kids, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm very non-binary. I'm, I call myself a trans femme, but that's just because I, like, present as feminine because uh, I think it's fun and cute. <laughs> but that I don't think that says anything about like my actual identity. So when I was a little kid, I sort of just grew up with the roles that were uh, imposed upon me. Um, to an extent, I was very like rebellious towards those pretty much my entire life, but that manifested in a in a different way. And like you talk about like little trans kids being so sure um, of the, who they truly are and um, a lot of people like ha- sort of didn't didn't experience that um, in the way that you're talking about mm-hmm. because it it wasn't very clear what that identity means and this sh- shows up a lot for like non-binary people is like uh, like my mom said to me at one point she was like she was like yeah when you when you told me that you were questioning your gender. Um, and came up with non-binary. It was like a huge shock to me because you've you've always like inhabited the boy role. And then I, my response to that was pretty much, well, that wasn't the only role that it was existing in there. There was also the girl role, and then the something else role, and then all this other shit that <laughs> that I still haven't sorted out. So <laughs> confusing every single day. <laughs> I feel like these birds have come back to their nest. <laughs> I'm worried that they're kind of loud. I don't know. Uh, maybe we should pause and go find a, another place. Perhaps. They're, just like, they're having a whole good time. Also, is my swearing a problem? No, no, no. Okay, was, cool. No, totally. You swear, swear all you want. Awesome. Okay. Um, pause, please. Okay, hi. We're back. We found another little place. So yes, we're going to try this out. Yeah. Uh, we were we were we moved from turfs into uh, I think into non-binary. Yes, yeah. yes, non-binary discourse. Yeah. So I had like a sort of similar experience to Nors in that I I well first off I am non-binary and I not really sure like what exactly is going on with the whole gender thing as it <laughs> pertains to me, but. Uh, the, the term gender fluid is one that seems pretty accurate to describe my experience of gender. Me too. Um, but yeah, for me, it's like growing up, I, there was never any sort of like sureness of like, oh yeah, I don't like fit into um, this role, I fit into this role. It was always just like me being sort of uncomfortable with certain experiences of boyness or being a dude. And then uh, when I started learning about non-binary people, then I was kind of realizing, like, wait, that is kind of me. Like, <laughs> like especially when I was having a conversation with some people on Facebook, and they're, uh, it's like, really nice, like, older, like, non-binary queers. They're like, well, having apathy about your genders actually can be a key part of a non-binary identity. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Because, so, like, for me, I have, like, I have at the same time a lot of apathy about my gender but i think about it a lot yeah so so it's like like i don't have a sort of like as a metaphysical concept yeah so that's kind of like been my experience of that like um sometimes i have a specific gender experience of i feel like a girl or i feel like a boy usually i don't but i also like playing around with my presentation and just in essence, moving more and more towards um, presenting and behaving in ways totally unburdened by gender expectations. Mm. It's kind of really important to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My transition um, 
it has been mostly about subverting my maleness than moving towards anything else. Um, I like the like big part, the big intention of my transition is like I don't want people to think anything about me. Um, I what I'm looking for is like that con confusion, the cognitive dissonance when people like look at me, they're like, is that a man or a woman? And then I can be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <Yes>. exactly. <laughs> Feel that. <laughs> but yeah, I am on um, like estrogen and T blockers and stuff for that right now. Um, so I can have like the specific body parts that would confuse people. Um, but it, it's, um, it's been sort of a struggle because that, is also like really not about me it's more about how other people like see me and I've had to like really kind of convince myself that it's a good thing to do instead of just like change my mind about and like be okay with people um, like seeing me in a certain way but I think I think a lot of other trans people go through the same questioning thing it's like oh is my dysphoria real is or am I just like not being chill with the yeah. way people are looking at me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, to that, I just, your dysphoria is always real. It is always valid. So, or it should always be treated as such. So. Yeah, it's an, an interesting thing. Like, I've been thinking about this lately. Like, um, the uh, one of the speakers at the, the Pride event that we had a few weeks ago, um, what they're saying, um, I, I can't recall their name, right? I think, oh no, it was Ricky, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, and they're saying how um, they're on T partially because they're, they're tired of their body like betraying them. So yeah. that got me thinking like maybe, because I don't experience, I mean, I guess I do experience some dysphoria, um, but not really related to my body, more just my like behavior and like how I'm seen that mm -hmm. way or presentation sort of stuff so I was thinking like maybe like a lot of people's or some people's disorder definitely is like wouldn't be there necessarily if we didn't have these like soup mondo crappy like gender roles and expectations yeah, yeah. in the first place that are so like detailed and nuanced yeah. into people's like, yeah. subtle actions like the way you cross your legs and shit like yeah. that yeah I have <laughs> run into that as a, as a woman and as a uh, even just growing up you know I wasn't super feminine yeah um, and you get in trouble for like not crossing your legs but the thing is it's like just the way my body is built it's not comfortable to cross my legs with like my knees over each other it just doesn't even like yeah. make yeah. sense for how i'm formed and so it's like oh well then you should cross your ankles and it's like why <laughs> like this is not comfortable i have no stability i want to just like have stable yeah can like, i just like be? <laughs> can i just like be a person yeah. so, like as a little kid you know being like, like, why are you criminalizing having a body? Well, yeah. Yeah, and at that point, it, it doesn't even, you don't even understand. As a yeah. little kid, it's like, what am I, why? Like, what are you, it's, it's almost like bringing sexuality into a space that's, like, totally inappropriate. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's pedophile culture. That's pedophilia culture, like, straight and simple, you know? Um, we, as a society, we sexualize, um everyone of all ages and we sort of it's all tailored to like what a a man of his prime would want you know mm. and it's shitty <laughs> it's like okay but not everyone else is a sex toy you can't just use people like that yeah um, and that's sort of the, the the common theme of all gender related like um, violence is like <laughs> um and the the expectations because they are in power so uh, toxic masculinity toxic masculinity is quite a real thing oh yeah indeed yeah i saw um there's this really fun little comic that goes around now and then i like it every time i see it where there's two little blobs and one blob says ban all muslims and the next blob says ban all men and I was like, well, that's ridiculous. How can you do that? There's billions of men. And they're like, well, there's billions of, no, there's, of Muslims. Yeah. <laughs> some Muslims are violent. He's like, but most, like, all men are violent. And this is, like, and yeah. I'm, I'm screwing up this comic, but it was the whole point was being like, <laughs> men are super 
violent band men. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, like there is actual data that suggests that men are actually like a threat to <laughs> people who are not men. Um, yeah. If, I mean, if you categorize people by demographics, like white men are a terrifying demographic yeah, of people. Yeah, they are. You and know? Talk to anyone who's not a white man and yeah. they will agree with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm sure someone listening to this is going to be like, not all men! Yeah. And I'm going to be like, fuck you, yes, all men! <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> like, yeah. the, like, um, that's why I've always, like, been my issue with, like, the whole, like, pink, like, pussy hats. And oh, everything. yeah, okay, okay, let's, Which, let's talk about the Women's March because, for like, a moment. At the same time, like, um... Just real quick before we get into the women's march, like, it's it's interesting because at the same time there is a lot of stigma around, like, sexual education for people with vaginas that needs to be combated, like, like people with penises, I think, are, like, taught, like, in way more detail, like, how to have pleasure and, like, you know, yeah, all that, so it's, it's like, really you gotta, you gotta, like, issue. in that way, it's like, okay, well, let's, yeah, let's talk about vaginas, but then to, like, wrap that up with this is womanhood and this is like yeah that's where it yikes. gets really turkey <laughs> um and yeah that that almost all of the symbology of the women's march movement was like um uterus centric vulva centric um stuff like that and um while there's a place for that like nathan said you cannot attach that to femininity or womanhood um, and that's that's what the women's march did. And as a trans person, I felt very unsafe there. Um, I was in Portland at the at the pretty big one that was going on there, and I the, there was a moment that really demonstrated what I'm talking about. So I'm I'm standing there, I'm chanting along, and everyone's saying her body, her choice, and I try to talk over them. I'm like their body, their choice, and yeah. then this big like muscular like frightening man like comes up behind me and starts looking at me directly in the eye and he says her body her choice and i'm like i want to leave i feel like i'm about to get hit oh, <laughs> um and it was it was really bad and a, a lot of shit like that was just happening all day and i was like wow okay so i know who this is for and who it's not for yeah. and that was when i really started to like kind of question and question is is feminism really for who it's meant for <laughs> um, yeah. and by who it's meant for i mean those who experience the most gendered violence and i think a lot of people get very very um confused about who that is and it's that's when we need to talk about how trans misogyny is a very unique form of oppression and people who aren't who don't experience it people who are trans misogyny exempt the acronym for that is TME, by the way. Um, <laughs> people who are TME can't really talk about it because it's very, like, nuanced. Um, and it, it is, it's everywhere. <laughs> it is everywhere. But, yeah, I kind of went off on a tangent. Where, what were we saying? Well, now, though, uh, could you define transmisogyny a little bit? Transmisogyny, uh, violence against um, trans women. That's basic definition um people who can experience trans misogyny i actually had a really interesting debate about this with um a trans woman on facebook the other day um we were like okay who can experience trans misogyny no no one who was assigned female at birth can be or can experience trans misogyny like if you if you were assigned female at birth afab you don't experience it, don't talk about it. If you were assigned male at birth, however, and you are non-binary, but like not femme, mm -hmm. you don't experience transmisogyny. If you are assigned male at birth and you do present femme or are femme, then you do experience transmisogyny. And there's like kind of a gray area in there about like what is seen as femme and what is femme on the inside. Like in my case, I'm not a femme, um, but I, I 
present as femme, and I do a lot of femmy things. So I do consider myself someone who experiences transmisogyny because I have, of course, experienced it. Um, <laughs> and the very typical violence that totally like fits a standard, um, like just the way that I've been treated in society, that is transmisogyny. Um, someone maybe in Nathan's case, however, who doesn't um, always present as femme, mm -hmm. um, or just like, you know, you, you might not experience as yeah, much of no, it. You I, might experience I've, it sometimes. I definitely have the, the privilege of, um, like, not experiencing, like, that much, like, dysphoria from not presenting as femme. Like, yeah. so, like, I have the privilege of being able to, like, kind of, like, present masculine and be comfortable with that when it's safe um, versus someone who doesn't it's like then their their uh, choice is like okay present them and face like this sort of external violence or not present them and feel very uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I don't. I have the privilege of not. But yeah. But when I do present them, like I definitely can face that. But I have the privilege of like not always being in that like space. Hmm. Well, I'm queer, and I used to identify as bisexual but I like the term bi plus I've heard plus. which is kind of a nice thing I just found out about that I'm mm. like I like that because I don't like the bisexual gender binary mm. um, yeah so it's like idea. pan it's not I don't like the term pan personally because sort of like when you say pan to people that aren't necessarily within queer culture it sounds like oh you just sleep with anybody or anything yeah and like, that's yeah. so like just sort of the semantics of pan I don't like mm. so yeah bi plus is like also because I identified as bi for so long and like that's where I like started hmm. my journey with my sexuality it's there is a specific bi culture and there are specific issues that go along with being bisexual yeah that definitely. I don't want to Biphobia lose is real <laughs> oh it's it's really real it's very <laughs> yeah. real yeah it's very very yeah. real so um so then I didn't I didn't want to lose that part of yeah. that culture identity so I I'm I like bi plus I want to make that more yeah more yeah. popular yeah but I feel I feel like there that might run into issues of like non-binary erasure, but um, that is also like really like if you take it out of context, then it kind of sounds like that. But um, I just like talking with you about it sort of makes me feel a little bit like that's not really the case, um, or m more like non-binary erasure in the way that it like reinforces a binary by. Um, annotating to it, but the term non-binary kind of does the same thing. Oh, because so it has like, binary in it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's, yeah. I, I think, I think all of the language, all of the language that we're using right now is very like um, developmental. Like we're going to reach a state in the future where all of our, all of the language that we use to talk about queer things is not going to include any sort of like cis straight centrism in there um and i'm i'm personally moving towards that by using the term singularian instead of non-binary um because uh, and the best way i can describe singularian is like if male is on mars and female is on venus i'm somewhere in deep space <laughs> or on some other dimension <laughs> sick um yeah <laughs> like i'm i'm in the i'm in the realm of probability but um <laughs> yeah so th that's that's basically singularian and i think all of the models that are sort of popularized about gender like i've seen a thing about like like a color wheel and then it's like how how a gender are you with like the saturation and oh it's, yeah like, the that. rgb scale yeah, or something that like that very, and I'm, like very extra i'm like, like okay but that's that's still cis centric. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. still binary centric. How not cis are you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I don't want to be like described like that at all. That's yeah. one of the things dealing with as a bisexual. People ask you like, oh, well, how bisexual are you? Are you fifty fifty? <laughs> or it's like, no, I'm a hundred a hundred. Yeah, it's not like yeah. It's, yeah. there's not like the like it. It makes it this really awkward thing where it's like. Oh, you're 70-30. So that kind of language makes yeah. it so it's like 
you know, like lesbians won't date you because it means half of you're only halfway in oh, to yeah. the relationship. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like you're uh, only fifty percent gay. And that's yeah. like you know that's I mean? all over the place in bi biphobia. Yeah. Yeah. So I that's like why that's I, like I hate the that language. Of biphobia. Would you agree with that? The that lesbians won't like the fifty. No, the good one, but um, like the fifty-fifty kind of language. Yeah, isn't no, that it's like the keystone. It is, okay, yeah, it's yeah. the keystone, and it's like it's so unhelpful. Yeah, it's like super not a helpful way of thinking about things because totally. it just it just reinforces the idea that you're not straight and you're not gay. Yeah. So like you don't actually fit in anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you totally. Know what I mean? So yeah. it's like it's. Yeah, and so like the semantics really are important when it comes to that the way that people talk about stuff, and they're too. developing. Yeah. And then all these like cis straight people are like, it's so confusing. Oh my god, my life is so hard because all these all these angry trans want to want to make all this new language. I'm like, suck it up, honey. Like, yeah. imagine what it's like for me. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I'm still trying to figure it all out and. You're just making it harder. Um, yeah. But yeah, this this stuff is it's developing, and everyone's got to be patient. And it, I I feel like it should no longer be allowed to like complain about that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like canceled. from anyone. Like, <laughs> like everyone needs to be quiet. Like we all know. We all know it's difficult. <laughs> I feel like here we're, we're starting to get into like kind of um sort of like gender the question of like gender nihilism or gender yeah yeah something else because like too. that's um like i i'd sent uh like last week i sent Catherine the gender nihilism anti-manifesto and we had some discourse about mm -hmm. that it was really interesting i haven't yeah. read that yeah i think i, I sent that to you I'm, I'm probably familiar with yeah, I was, the I'm sure talking you're points. familiar with the concepts. Okay, yeah, if you could like yeah. Um, so briefly, summarize. it's like um, what they're saying in the gender nihilism anti manifesto is um, that is the system of gender itself that enables gendered violence, yeah. and that um, we must to. Any um, expansion of that will just create more multiplicities in the way that violence can be directed by gender at people, and so that we must aim to uh, destroy it entirely. Hmm. And now, the in the manifesto, it makes a very clear distinction that because turfs also use this type of language sometimes. Yes, but to um, erase people. Yeah, yeah, but the the gender nihilism anti manifest is actually written by a trans woman of color. So yeah. um, well, that was interesting because when I was reading it, you saw like my first yeah. reaction when I'm reading yeah, the like, of it is like, oh, there's some turf it. language in here for sure, yeah. and I got like real like antsy about yeah. it. Like, I don't know where this is going. <laughs> and then it, and then later on in the article, it started starting to like black flags, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> just just general, just the normal kind of flag. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, what is this? Like this feels like erasure, turfy language. Raising but then it got further into flags. it and it got more developed and it's like, oh, okay. And then actually at the very mm. end of the article, they mm. had added another little addendum to try and clarify some of the things that yeah. like what I had been really like ooky about. And so it was, it's yeah. like one of those things where you, got, you have to read the whole yeah. thing. It's such a complicated subject too that yeah. you, it, like you can't really do sound bites about it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. my problem with gender nihilism is um, that first we must be gender positive. We must first affirm that all of these non-binary genders exist. We mm -hmm. have to like um, create language for it. We have to create space for it because if we get rid of all of it, all of the gendered violence systems will still exist. Yeah. It'll just be clouded in a giant like web of like obscurity and it'll be the same thing. It's just it'll it'll still be trans misogyny. Yeah. Um, it'll just be under gender nihilism. <laughs> well, the same thing. Uh, like, Anti-structural. Yeah. <laughs> a similar thing happens with like anarchist organizing when people say, well, we're just going to have no leadership, therefore we're going to be non-hierarchical, but without actually working towards cooperative process, and you end up just saying, oh, we're all totally equal. It's and like then the all lives hidden. matter of anarchy. Then there's <laughs> 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 so then all of these power structures are still there, they're just hidden yeah. under like the guise of like, mm -hmm. well, we're saying that we're all equal, and like, 
You know what I mean? And this is the, like, typical debate between MLs and anarchists. ML? Uh, like, Marxist-Leninists, um, like, authoritarian communists versus um, libertarian communists. Um, and, yeah, I think it's, I think it's an important discourse. Um, I typically like to... It, it's, there's a common theme here. Um, in like what we're talking about, it's like where does the gendered violence lie? Where does the systematic hierarchical violence lie? Is it in like, um, is it in the structure of how we do it, or is it beyond that? Mm -hmm. um, and my answer to that question would be both, um, and that like a a true anarchist. Um, if we're going to get elitist about things, a true <laughs> I think it's good to get elitist about this kind of thing. Though. There's like, a lot of uh, finger quotes going on. Yes, yes, <laughs> a lot of finger quotes. Um, a, a true anarchist would first destroy all of these hierarchies in themselves and then work on destroying them outside of themselves um, in both the non-structural, in both the structural and intuitive levels. Um, and that's like what holistic anarchism is about instead of performative anarchism. Yeah, the <laughs> idea, so one of the Quaker concepts is that inward state and outward action are component parts of a single whole. Yes. So that, that. you, if you, you have to work on your inward state, like almost first, you have to work yeah. on your inward state first Agreed. because 100%. that's where uh -huh. all of your action stems from. Yeah. So like there's no way to have to do you can't do good actions if you're coming from a bad place hmm. so which is really interesting because like i'd never really heard that before i became a quaker the idea yeah. like we're sort of taught in our society that you do good work you do good things and it makes you feel better yeah you know, so you you know so if you feel bad you go do good stuff and then that'll like help <laughs> and that's you out. why target has a pride brand now yeah <laughs> right, so it's, it's sort of the opposite it's like you 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 feel bad so you um do something external to make your internal self feel better when instead it's like you have to work on your internal self and through your internal work of everything you that you do comes out of that revolutionary values place yes. so then everything you do is 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 based Pure. in is yeah, yeah is going <laughs> to be working on those things which i think is a really interesting idea so i 100% yeah. agree with that yeah. and i saw something on your facebook profile that was like radical just means pulling from like the root yeah the angela davis like quote yeah, yeah yeah i love that and i feel like that <laughs> very much ties into what we're talking about right mm -hmm. now. <laughs> yeah, something that I think about a lot um, in relation to my own politics and just stuff in general is, like, the the distinction between, like, charity and solidarity. And, like, I, I'm very about... I'm pointing at Nathan and making yes. gestures. <laughs> I'm very about, like, everything needs to come... Uh, from or everything really anyone anything anyone does comes from a place of self-interest and to pretend otherwise is just like inauthentic but that comes with the understanding for me that you know an injury to one is an injury to all and that is in my direct self-interest for everyone to be loved because I care for myself and yes. any any organization that pretends that there's some caring about other people for not yourself is going to will just breed resentment or breed you know a charity like savior complex or which will ultimately yeah. be ineffective to actually help people um it's like but, currency of like how much of an ally i am exactly it's like doing it doing it for the the brownie points instead yeah. of doing it because for me for myself i authentically want to help people yeah, which, yeah. and i you know everyone capitalism has made it so we can pretend that people don't want to help people because it's it's like that they um, do want to help people you mean well people i mean like capitalism has uh, uh what's the word uh incentivized exploiting people is what i'm saying like yeah yeah so yeah, it's yeah. like it's so then people can get to like pretend like write their whole like ancap bs about oh how people are gen like naturally selfish human nature blah 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 where it's like well no i mean that's just because of the system that's been put in place and like everyone needs love and friends and everything it's in everyone's yeah. 
and like capitalism d runs directly counter to having real community and real solidarity which everyone wants and needs so yeah yes. and at this moment i love to go full kropotkin that's what i was just yeah. oh my god <laughs> i was just like you're saying this is like oh social darwinism kropotkin do it yeah right there um, <laughs> <laughs> this is where we need to go um yeah and you know the those who those who um Go ahead, actually. I, I just, <laughs> so let's see. Let's see if I can I remember my, my right remember now. my Kropotkin. Basically, the idea is um, social Darwinists in the late 1800s tried to use Darwin to say um, it's the survival of the fittest, the strongest. <laughs> we should all compete. We with should each all compete other. with each other. <laughs> the strongest one wins, and that's the way it should be. And so this was this really capitalist kind of idea. And Kropotkin is saying, actually, Darwin said that. Um, Those who could collaborate to secure resources that aren't scarce are actually fittest to survive. Yeah, so the, uh, cooperation is the natural way for lots and lots of different species, including humanity. And that's why the elite fabricate scarcity. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes, false scarcity. Yes. Yeah. Very real. Yeah. Very real. And we think we have a false scarcity complex about um, love and access to divinity too mm, absolutely like so that there's this idea yes. that's like there's only so much love in the world there's only so much access to divine power and or to like god so like you have else. to you have to get it through ah. somebody else <laughs> so it's like there's only there's only so much of it so somebody has to hoard it and like give it out a little bit here and there and where if you're worthy no one has any you know like yeah exactly, like because you have to be worthy to have it because there's not enough for everybody right you know what i mean so it's yeah. like that adds in this whole whole other thing this like false scarcity through not even just material means, but like spiritual. Yeah. And if, if that's true for everybody, then nobody gets the love. Mm -hmm. And because we're all taking it from each other. Yeah. So yeah. that is like the number one thing that you need to do to liberate yourself from anything is realize that you already have everything you need. Um, unless, unless you're talking about like, like <laughs> biological, like resources, physiological things like a hungry of course you don't have everything you need but like, <laughs> <laughs> but like as far as as far as love and divinity goes and stuff like that then mm -hmm. um, the more you more you give the more you get yeah for yeah. sure the more you Which give the so more you get it's so scary when like i mean i've been really moving towards like embodying that like really putting having an intention for that for myself but it's been at times very scary like I'm putting myself out there like this. I have no idea if it's going to get returned, but like, you know. It's really funny. Yeah. I've had the opposite experience. Really? I, um, yeah, I have, I have always like sort of regarded myself as narcissistic and selfish and therefore I've overcompensated and made myself like, uh, overgiving and I've, um, basically become the, the mom to a lot of my partners and I get very yeah. little in return. Um, and so my my like personal motto is do no harm, take no shit. It's like <laughs> I love that. Balance how much you give with how that. much you get. And That's wonderful. Don't tolerate anything less. <laughs> I want that just like tattooed on the inside of my arms. So Same. It's like, it's like okay, okay. Reminder. Reminder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like mm. it, it also. I've I've recently had to like finally. Um, as far as like relationship things go, I've had to finally like tell myself like, "Hey, bitch, don't settle, <laughs> don't settle." Yeah, it's, just it's like, like wait a don't be an opportunist about these like, kinds of things. Like, nope, get what you want. Wait, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's worth the wait. Totally. Definitely. And I've I've been an opportunist about like giving myself completely to someone else. It's like, who who can I um, who can I satisfy my own um, self self doubt with? <laughs> um, and it it has that in its truest form was where the nar narcissism lied was in the um, like the self-pleasing kind of or self-appeasing uh, manner of giving so much to satisfy um, my oh I'm not a narcissist kind of the, <laughs> the interesting thing that religion has given me, and even specifically I've been going down the um, original George Fox Quaker path of, he said, the only, I don't need pastors, I don't need churches, the only person that can speak to my condition is Jesus himself. Hmm. And like going and like reading what he's all saying and sort of the idea is like, stay humble, live in service, and you, your life will come together. 
And like I've, I feel that. I, a lot, I feel yeah. that too. It's like because if you sort of stay humble, just in the idea of like, there's lots of things that are bigger than you. Everybody has value, you know. Yes. So it's like in that way of staying humble. And then if you're living in service, then it's like you. There's nothing that feels better than like accomplishing <laughs> a direct action that is successful and like materially made somebody's life better yes you know what absolutely I mean? <laughs> yeah there's it's just it's it's it's, a, it's an addicting feeling definitely <laughs> <laughs> so um and we could also talk about like the self-serving nature of that too yeah go for it um and yeah basically that's self-serving too that's <laughs> that's all i got on that um but it's yeah i mean if you're if your need for philanthropy is like um is is rooted in your is rooted in your ego yeah we were talking about this earlier Mm. um then is it actual philanthropy Mm. and there's a part of me that wants to say that like well that doesn't matter if you're doing things for people if you're living in service um it doesn't matter why um it's still good to an extent um it could be better (laughs) but i mean that comes back down to the idea of coming from a inward place exactly so because then yeah. at that point you're not actually coming from an, an inward place Be satisfied of before you you're like it. yeah, yeah. You're, you're like trying to at that fix point you're trying to like you're still externally yourself. trying to fix something yeah. Yeah. yeah so i think at this point we're we're rephrasing this the same thing and this pattern has been make sure your cup is full before you start giving to other people mm-hmm. and so. at the same time I, I i think that in a way um giving people as you fill your own cup giving people also feel to give giving to people also fills your cup sort of like sometimes yeah yeah but if you yeah, if you yeah. get too lost in that then you're yeah. not filling your own cup yeah <laughs> no i mean you have to you have to prioritize your needs um completely but Basically, i kind of think the about like the story is be mindful yeah yeah <laughs> yeah how i think about it for myself is that um I am in no place to liberate anyone if I am not myself liberated, but I will person... never be truly liberated until everyone is liberated. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Maybe you just kind of got to work parallel. Yeah, as, I, yeah as that's much sort some of flags were tripped for a moment, and I was like, you can't save anyone, Nathan. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. No saviors, no heroes, no masters, no gods. Like, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, I, that is something I've fallen into in the past. Same. Definitely. Me too. I've, always, I've also done that. Yeah. And it's not good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And my experience of being an artist is like all of this at the same time, but all totally subconscious because like, does my art actually help people? Um, and I guess I'll have to wait to know. Um, but yes, it does because it helps me. Um, and yeah, (laughs) that's a, that's an issue. A lot of artists have is like, was what I'm doing worthwhile? Yeah. 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 And I say, yes, I say art has been incredibly devalued in the capitalist system Mm -hmm. because it's because of how powerful it is. Yes. You know, that the, that spirit power, that rejuvenation of spirit power is something that the powers that be do not want us to have. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. we have to be disempowered, so any activity that helps re-empower people needs to be devalued, mm-hmm. right? And, and the feeling I get after I finish a painting or a sculpture and I'm looking at my baby <laughs> is, like, so beyond anything else and... Like it, it almost feels like kind of dirty because I know that the powers that be don't want me to have that. So I'm like, mm, like, <laughs> like, ooh, I'm, I am just as much of a god as you think you are <laughs> at at the elite people that live in the fucking sky. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, being being an artist has uh, affirmed my own divinity and my own humility at the same time. Um, because it really does it it destroys me and then creates me because I destroy and create myself in every moment um I love that (laughs) I love that yeah so the and I I always get trapped by the free will I have with artwork I'm I'm always like okay I'm looking at this blank page and I could do anything with this but I'm doing nothing with it because I don't know what to do (laughs) And that's, that's when you need to learn to relax and 
trust the process. Trust that um, you, as an artist, as an individual, will do what you're going to do, and you don't have to think about it. Um, that has been the most important lesson for me of mindfulness, actually, is that, like, I am a process. This is, this is also where my nihilism comes in, too. I, if I think of myself as like pure biochemical matter, um, who, my my future is like <laughs> God damn it, the train. Yeah, if I hold, please. Okay, I think it's yeah. I yeah. think that <laughs> I think the train's gone. All right, where yes. were we? <laughs> yes, so pure biochemical matter. If I get into the nihilism of my own existence and I stop thinking of myself as like a living thing um and in more of like a process process like a washing machine or something like if I'm a washing machine then I'm gonna do my washing if I'm an artist then I'm gonna do my art you know um and I I think of that's the terms that I think about my life and that's the terms that I think about everyone in their own life and this kind of goes into the religion of Thelema um which was made by Aleister Crowley in the it, thelema means will in Latin. It's like free will kind of thing. Um, and the, the first law of thelema is free will over everything. Just do what you're going to do. And underneath that is do it with love. Um, and, but, but primarily, do what you're going to do. And it, it gives you a very profound sense of like oneness and okayness with even the really terrible shit. Um, like the the disgusting kinds of I'm gonna I'm gonna quote AJJ. <laughs> Hold on, guys, I'm gonna get emo. Um, <laughs> there, what is it? It's like there's a rapist and a Nazi living in our tiny hearts. Child pornographers and cannibals and politicians too. There's someone in your head waiting to fucking strangle you. So it's like it's shit like that. Like all of that terrible shit. That is that is somewhere inside all of us that exists everywhere um, in us, and we're never really going to be able to destroy it, and we are going to do what we're going to do, and there's no real way of saying if it's going to be good or bad, so um, do what you're going to do, and when you're thinking about it, that is also what you're going to do, so you really cannot do wrong. You can never make a mistake in your life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. Sometimes it's good to have mistakes. Uh, yeah, no, ever... if, if you make it a mistake for yourself, if you realize it as a mistake for yourself, then oh, it, it does its job for you. Gotcha. But have you, um, have you ever heard of the saxophone kills fascists? No, okay, but the, I like that name. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just this one guy who has a saxophone and he... Does he kill fascists? Well, he goes around and plays this music that's just like just noise just like crazy saxophone noise i love that yeah it's awesome and i was <laughs> i was talking to a girl uh lady about it and she says she was saying that sometimes she feels that inner authoritarian oh yeah she, she, so she feels that inner authoritarian <laughs> like coming up in her she'll listen to some of uh the saxophone kills fascists and just like feel it she says she's in this like feel it burn the authoritarian out of her yeah yeah like yeah. i love that totally it's great yeah. I feel like that really, um, I really like that, how everything, like, if you make a mistake, but it's not, nothing's a mistake until you decide that it's a mistake, and I really, yes. that's kind of where I, some of my nihilistic leanings, like, um, manifest themselves, too, is, like, any, any opinion, there's no, there's nothing, none of my actions are anything, in morality until it's been decided by myself that they are like yeah like there's no everything that is good or bad is ultimately up to me and of course but we're you know we're taught to automatically like there's predetermined things that are good and bad but it's really like just as much as we buy into them and you know i buy into a lot of the same things that society tells me to like i don't think it's good to kill people you know and yeah like you know all those that things but you know sense, quote, yeah unquote. yeah but it's like also like really getting that it's because i buy into it it's not because it exists in the world as good or exists as bad yeah it's, you can't touch it it's, yeah. it's hard though because coming from you and coming from like cool 
normal people. I totally get that. I can say that. But yeah, then there's it, just so many no assholes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who are just um, will just you yeah. know, easily just be like, you know. But they aren't a monolith the moral, at the same time. You know. Yeah, exactly. They aren't the a idea monolith. like some religions are like people are inherently amoral. Yeah. Therefore, we need to tell them what morality is. See, the thing is, is like all of these systems of classification that are like what is good and what is bad. Um, those actually do more to have people repress their bad nature instead of heal their bad nature. Um, and I, I feel like it contributes to more violence. <laughs> um, and it's funny that I say that morality doesn't exist, but I prescribe to a very strict personal set of morals. Same. Um, and I think... I think it's totally meant that way. <laughs> I feel like when you destroy the, the external morality, you create your own, um, and the bad people exist so that you can s steer yourself away from them, pretty much. So I don't want there to be no bad people. I want the good people to learn better things from the bad people. Huh. I The Quaker thing is that everybody has an... In, um, in inner light yeah right so then yeah. it's just like everybody has an inner light and so what does that mean exactly <laughs> you know, so, so the idea being that if there is this like external morality that's sort of put on people that can sort of obscure or quelch or their own inner light and their own like sense of right and wrong that mm. there is sort of a basic that you know the, the idea instead of that people are basically amoral and need to be told what to do is sort of the authoritarian versus anti-authoritarian thing. It's like yeah. that people are actually basically good, and if you take away these oppressive systems and these oppressive, like, prescribed moralities, then the true human nature is one of basic, basic goodness. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I think the, the destruction of morality and that idea are totally compatible because mm -hmm. um, kind of what, coming back to uh, the whole, like, Kropotkin's take on Darwinism and everything like um, people naturally want and need solidarity and love and everything which and when you strip away outside external ideas of what they should do or not they will basically naturally realize like hey so I really want to be loved and be loved and I guess the way to do that is to value people or to what you know so whatever like, they end up doing. Yeah, know? whatever they end up doing. And if they don't Comes want that, Pelham, you know... First do what you do, then do yeah. it with love. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of like if you if morality's fake and you can do whatever you want, then why not love everybody, basically? And I don't think, yeah. I don't think there's anything inherent in me and my upbringing that leads me to that. I think that's a pretty consistent thing across uh, humanity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I'd have to disagree with you there. I think I think thinking these things is inherently a little bit dangerous. There is a thinking, lot of sorry thinking which things uh, destroying morality. Oh, it yeah. is it is inherently dangerous. Oh, yeah. But you also like have to you you have to be enough you have to be humble enough to realize that like whether it's dangerous or not you still can't impose that on someone else. Oh, One, yeah. it won't work. And two, uh, it wouldn't be perfect enough to impose on anyone. And three, it's it's not even your place to do something oh, like yeah. that. So destroying morality comes back to the... It's like morality is a safe place. You know, it's something that you find comfort in. And the oftentimes the opposite of comfort and the opposite of or the opposite of comfort is the opposite of safety. Yeah. Um, being free is not always going to be safe or comfortable. Um, and to be free, you need to be free from your morality, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not the sort of thing that can... I mean, it's definitely the sort of thing that can be taught. I mean, I would say that I've been taught it, essentially. Um, but like, like in situations like this, not yeah, from someone not, standing not, above you. No, it, can, it <laughs> cannot be taught through authoritarian means, and it's kind of the enemy of authoritarian means. So yeah. it's interesting like how to think about spreading 
that idea because you can't even like spread it in its actual form through like any sort of like let's put it in our state sponsored school curriculums or anything <laughs> especially that, like because then that just turns into like ancapism or like yeah like edgy like which is i feel like again like a non-rigorous view of it with like to come to the conclusion that well i should just like hurt people and not care like i mean it's kind of like i also see in your thinking that the only way this could be taught is if it were perfect true which is absurd yeah Yeah. (laughs) the perfect does not exist yeah Yeah. so virgo to virgo the perfect does not exist (laughs) get that tattooed yeah yeah so we're gonna end up with a lot of tattoos after this conversation yeah Yeah, definitely (laughs) so i I recall something you told me about artwork one time and it it was like it was something about like a guitarist in a solo Mm. like you you can never stop playing because um can probably yeah i think like (laughs) it's it's always more just the most important thing is that you are playing and that you are soloing like to to yourself as you're playing you're hearing all your like mistakes or like how your idea of how it's gonna be versus what you're actually playing but to the audience they're just hearing you soloing so it's it's more important that you keep soloing or that that you just do it than to do it perfectly because that's no that's doesn't exist yeah. so yeah You're chasing I, I your love, tail yeah <laughs> i love that i said that because i was i don't live that often <laughs> not at all. well it meant a lot to me yeah and i know it I came tr- to me like right as i needed it yeah so. i'm glad <laughs> i try to remember that <laughs> but yeah no that's definitely yeah that that's enough that's definitely one of those those things, those, um, like, ideas that maybe came from some external place, but that we buy into and kind of, like, really, yeah, it's, like, really put authoritarian, like, limits on ourselves, I think. Yeah. Like, like, I, and No I gods, know, no masters. Yeah. applies to your inner state of yeah. mental... It's, it's yeah. really yeah. hard, I think, a lot of times <laughs> to just jump in and do something because you're gonna fuck up yeah (laughs) you know it's it's really hard it's it's hard to do that it's like and there's only so much you can prepare for but then sometimes fuck-ups are real bad you know sometimes fuck-ups are are real real bad bad. (laughs) the risk the risk um it doesn't mean anything if there's no risk yeah yeah Yeah. at the same time i guess coming back to the whole like idea of um whatever you do is what you're going to do or whatever yeah like do what you do yeah (laughs) fuck-ups are part of that i guess but it's really it can be very difficult to have that perspective like i usually don't have that perspective (laughs) like yeah the main thing is to to get out of the habit of (laughs) of like categorizing your life as this is what i want to keep and this is what i don't want to keep like I feel like that's a bad habit because you you both need to accept that your past is a part of you mm-hmm. and also let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you need to accept that you will make mistakes and then you need to let them go. The problem with the um, needing to fuck do. up and you oh. know just jump in is there is a lot of privilege in that because some people have much more ability to fuck up than other people. Yeah, much. Uh, you know? A lot of people have more risk. Yeah, like ability to take risks than others. And that's know, why me as an anarchist, I want all, I don't like that. <laughs> I think I think poor brown people um, in quote unquote third world countries should have the same amount of fuck up room as some rich white kid um, like myself. Uh, and yeah, that's the question then becomes how how do we get there? Um, <laughs> which which would be another hour of talking <laughs> another yeah. few days of talking maybe <laughs> <laughs> i mean at the same time they still like they definitely have a lot less like wiggle room in terms of like you know material things and like you know but they also have their own like 
it's like talking about like um, people in third world countries and etc. Like have, and they have their the, own like struggles and their own like interpersonal things that they, I mean, they're human beings, so will inevitably fuck up and inevitably have these like triumphs and like yeah defeats or whatever. So I feel like it's it also doesn't do them the service to like other them in the way of being like oh this like like they also don't need like like to kind of think that universal universal yeah universality of this sort of thing doesn't apply to them because it does yeah it's also it's always problematic to talk about people when they're not in the room yeah true (laughs) yeah so bottom line (laughs) and and it's not my job to save four brown people in quote-unquote third world countries (laughs) so (laughs) as i said no no saviors no heroes yeah (laughs) um we're just about an hour do you have any like closing thoughts is there anything that we wanted you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to talk about um not really we covered a lot of stuff (laughs) um yeah basically just being anarchist means to love yourself I guess. Yeah. And love yourself for yourself. And to want yourself. Yes. <laughs> and to delight in yourself. Exactly, yes. <laughs> to have the utmost joy in doing what you do. Yeah. <laughs> or the, at least, at the very least, the utmost doingness. Yes, the utmost doingness. <laughs> your, your pain can be a, a cosmic, um, like, sonnet about how the blah 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 thing is the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> basically <Yes. laughs> perfect thank you so much this you're was welcome wonderful. all right um all right this has been friendly anarchism talk to you later <laughs>